welcome back to another out of control, sort of <laughs> messy episode of the SLR Film New Podcast. We've been gone for a little while because of the holidays and because we've been traveling. But I've Wait. got Mitch here. Well, I, anyway. Uh, regardless, I've got Mitch here with me today from Planet 5D. Mitch, what have you been up to since the last time we talked? Oh, uh, good golly, DJ. That was so long ago. I can hardly remember what I do yesterday. Uh, here's some exciting news. You probably can't see that. Those of you who are looking on the uh, web can see I'm holding up a piece of paper with instructions on how to do my colonoscopy coming up next week. Oh, no. No, a week and a half. A week and a half. I got a week and a half. But yeah, my first colonoscopy. Woohoo! I'm so excited. <laughs> How's that for a show start? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I, I'm not excited for you. That sounds awful. No horrible uh myself i just got back from singapore i've been gone for about uh two weeks uh volunteered to do some helping out on a sporting events there and uh got a free trip out of it so they they do sports in singapore uh yeah it was um the eighth annual paralympics so i I volunteered some time for for that and uh you know anything i could do to write off a free trip out to somewhere is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's well worth it. Uh, Singapore was great. Yeah. Got to travel around the entire country. Spent a little bit of time in Taiwan as well, and then got stuck in Canada for a couple days. And so I just actually what? got back uh, last night. Yeah, um, someone was projectile vomiting on the plane when we were leaving <laughs> Taipei, and so they shut the flight down. Um, the guy just vomited everywhere, and I don't know what was wrong with him, but no one wanted to touch him. Everybody's wearing these like medical masks, and they brought in. <laughs> A bunch of people for paramedics and they sterilized the whole thing and then the plane took off like three hours late so i missed my connecting flight in vancouver so i got stuck in vancouver for yesterday until uh probably i think i got back at like noon or four something somewhere in there i don't even know I, i'm home now i'm still kind of screwed up on my schedule but it's oh, great to be back Other in your than, new home which is totally unpacked and oh man and uh, yeah and, this array and, uh, i forgot to mention okay. i right. moved during that time as well so i am now in an empty room i'm using a laptop for my webcam because i have no idea where i put my webcam and uh, it's lost somewhere in these boxes uh this room is a mess uh the whole house is a mess i don't know where i was trying to make coffee this morning uh simple things <laughs> that you really love to have when you get up they're not there it's just an issue that Did I. Did you take your dog? No. To Singapore with. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm not paying for a flight for the dog, so we uh, <laughs> we got a dog sitter. Um, in Portland here, they've got plenty of holistic dog watchers that'll uh, you bring your dog. Oh, over. they're holistic. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't really know what that yeah. means, but uh, I'm sure in they terms got. Terms of a dog walker. Uh... The dog's got all the love <laughs> and uh, natural <laughs> healing that they could handle. Yeah, <laughs> natural dog food, I'm sure, and natural poo coming out the other end. Uh, speaking of poo, so your colonoscopy is coming up. <laughs> Gee, I didn't. That was a good segue. Very cool. <laughs> Tell me more. So you you have this every year. Is there? Do you do a cancer awareness or or, or something like that on Planet Five D because of your issues in the past? <laughs> And you said you were going to be off today. <laughs> um, no, actually, I've been putting off the colonoscopy since I turned 50 because you're supposed to get one every five years when you turn 50. And I've just been putting it off. And I'm 58 now, so I 
I finally listened to my doctor who has told me time and time again, hey, let's schedule that. And, you know, they make it easy for you now because then they have somebody call you and say, what time do you want to come do this? And you're like, never. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's uh that is not a fun experience. But uh, if you're a. Uh, have you had one? Yes, I have. Um, I had a, have you? I had a cancer scare a couple years back uh, when I. I almost died. Long story, but uh, oh, got the full man. checkout just to be on the safe side, and it is for forget this other stuff we're going to talk about. Tell us the story. Oh, well, um, so man, this unless is unless you don't want to talk about personal stuff. You on... know, this is it's fine. It's um, so I'm I'm wandering around uh, at the office. Uh, I just got done with the conference, and um, I head up a flight of stairs, and I felt really weak, and uh, I passed out and i woke up and um i was like oh crap i better call somebody so i called my wife and she came and got me and took me to the doctor's office right away and it turned out that in my uh, upper intestines i had like uh, some kind of rupture and it dumped like two-thirds of the oh, blood man. in my body into my stomach into my abdomen and uh, it was really bad so uh i got a transfusion of I don't know, four bags, maybe five bags of blood. That's what that's what killed my mother, by the way. As a oh, really? Side note. But yeah. yeah, so it was pretty scary. I was really lucky that I made it to the hospital in time. They gave me yeah. uh, several transfusions, and then uh, had to have uh, endo- some kind of endoscopic laser thing. They go in and they they use lasers and they tie off a section and cut a section out of your intestines and like hook it back together again. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but, uh, yeah, it saved my life. Um, I'm alive now and that was awesome. And, uh, because of that, now I have to get checked out every once in a while because, uh, that could Uh happen again. It's sort of a rare deal and it doesn't happen very often, but once you've had one, it makes you, uh, prone to them again so yeah don't die people um if you're sick just go to the freaking doctor Uh, i've had so many people that have had to have horrible things like their lungs drained because they just refused to go get their ammonia checked out at the hospital when they needed it Uh, you know Uh Uh don't put that off because you want to live don't be a midge and end up finding out you've got gobs of polyps or something going on in there. Just do what the doctor says. Yeah, and I'm extremely healthy normally, so almost dying was really uh, kind of a life-changing experience. I realized yeah. that I need to go out and live a little bit more. Uh, well, but- and that's... Anyway, let's move yeah. on to the show. This is not a life-affirming <laughs> uh, podcast. This is about camera gear, so let's move forward. Time Aww. for the news. Time for the news. For the news. I'm going to try this dual screen because I'm using a finger pad on my laptop as well as a Woo-hoo. giant screen next to me. But I wanted to talk about this because this is kind of weird. And Mitch, I know you have a few people at Planet 5D that really love Leica products. I saw this pop up and I was just kind of confused by what it is. It looks to be a Panasonic LX100 cloned as the Deluxe from Leica. Uh, this will cost you about $400 to $500 more than the retail price of a Panasonic LX100. And the specs aren't very different. Uh, there is one key feature difference here, and that's optical image stabilization. Uh, otherwise, you actually lose a few things. Uh, 4K video is at 30 frames per second as opposed to 34 or 30 and 24. Uh, it's a little weird. What do you think about Leica just rebranding a Panasonic item, Mitch? I'm confused. 
And it's how much more? Four hundred dollars? Yeah, the uh, the LX one hundred will set you back around six hundred dollars to five ninety nine, and the Deluxe will set you back somewhere in the range of eleven hundred dollars, depending on whether you go with the gray model or the black model. <laughs> well, you know that's a very big difference, and we talked about black bodies versus silver bodies several shows ago and i don't remember the show number but that was an exciting conversation and you should go back and watch every single one of these podcasts because there's lots of vital information in there that you may miss um but you know like it charges more for everything so what the heck but it, it, this is pretty figure this out uh well I was I was scanning I get a, an alert from BNH anytime some new product is announced or yeah, released lots and lots yeah, of and alerts so, right yeah and there's so many of them that a lot of times I just ignore them but I was going yeah. through uh, a few of them just pre prepping for the show and I saw this and I'm like this looks really familiar what is this and then I saw on the the lens there that it says uh, one point to f two eight. And I'm like, well, that's weird. That's the same as the LX100 that I've been shooting with continuously uh, for the last couple of weeks. And so I started digging into it. I'm like, wait a minute. This is almost identical to the LX100. And then, you know, if you look at the LX100, and I've actually got it right here. Let me peel this top off. You'll see, like, the the labeling right there is Leica with a... You know the same specs and everything, and then the sensor is the same. The NFC and the Wi-Fi controls are the same on this, uh, pretty much one for one, only with a Leica stamp on it and square buttons instead of circle buttons. It's you know this is really blatant. In the past, I know Leica's used what like Sony internals in some of their cameras. Is that correct? you're you're asking me like i know all these things you're the expert on all this stuff the the point is uh they've they've done sort of rebranding previously but normally it's a really kind of like internals are some other branded camera but the externals are very well designed different form factor uh sort of stylized body with different buttons and interface layouts this one, when you actually look at the uh, screen captures for the menus on the Deluxe on BNH's website, and I've got links to that in the show notes, the menu is identical to the LX100. And so I, I, I scrolled through the specs, I read them three or four times, and the only thing I see different is optical image stabilization. And that's it. So what, did did Panasonic well, save one? There is... There is- Another difference that I have noticed that you missed, and I'm so proud of myself for finding the color. What? Well, oh, besides the color, that is true. Uh, the body shape's actually slightly different, but the uh, Panasonic actually has a grip on the front, and the Lumix does, or the Leica doesn't. So, yeah, that's like a. <laughs> that's an important difference for your three hundred dollars. I, I think you're that's missing a, a detriment, isn't it? Really, yes, it's, yeah, man. Yeah. And so, I don't know what's going on. What's going on with Leica right now? And actually, while I was in Singapore, I did have the opportunity. I um, there's a road that has a bunch of malls and very high end uh, boutique places. I did actually get to go into a Leica booth, the first one I've seen in real life. 
And, wow. uh, you know, they had $8,000 plus cameras there. They didn't even bother to get up to say hello to me because obviously I look <laughs> too poor to purchase. Uh, but I did. You weren't wearing a suit? Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> it was a really strange experience. But the thing is, is this is really blatant. You know, how do they expect people to jump on the bandwagon of this camera? I mean, you can actually get the LX100 in a form factor that's this sort of gray color with like a brown handle that gives it that almost the same Leica look. You know, maybe just go buy a Leica sticker and stick it over the Panasonic label and you'll be good to go, right? Well, let me put it to you this way, DJ. And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday uh, what you have to realize is not everybody on the planet is DJ. There are a lot of people out there that would not put two and two together and figure out that this is the same camera. You figured it out because you happen to be using the Panasonic and go, ooh, that looks very similar. But those people who are Leica fans are going to go, Phew! They're not going to put this to, and there's no website that's going to say B and H isn't going to say, well, if you want to save $300, $400, go buy this one. So they're going to go, oh, it's a, a Leica camera, and I like Leica. I like Leica. Like, 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 like. And so they're going to buy it, and they're not going to know the difference. But DJ's going to save the world by understanding that these two cameras are virtually identical except for the grip. Now, do you think the branding is worth? 400 bucks? I mean, are there people out there that were willing to wear the Leica DJ, label? DJ, of course there are. I know you live in your little new glass house where you think nothing is... I mean, the logic goes through. Do, do you go to the store and buy Kellogg's brand ch ch cereal, or do you buy the generic cereal? People pay money for brand names. Obviously, that happens all. The same thing is true with Hasselblad at this point, isn't it? Nah, that's true. You're absolutely right. They're People using a buy lot of those suckers, and and we've shown on this show that there are cameras that are thousands and thousands of dollars less expensive that don't have the Hasselblad name, and they've even come out and said, "Hey, we're just going to buy this technology and rebrand it, right, and yeah. charge more." So. Yes, people do that, DJ. Well, if you want to spend an extra $400 to get uh, image stabilization, that might be worth it to you. Uh, go yeah. check out the Deluxe. It is available now for full-fledged delivery, actually. They're not even... They didn't even have a pre-order stage. It just went for, straight from not available to available. So uh, swing over, use our affiliate links, because that extra $400, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Now, yeah. moving on down the line here, um, actually, this is something we've kind of That's been talking story. off and on about for a little while here, and uh, I'm going to throw this up so you guys can see what I'm talking about. This camera uh, has been... Ever since you talked about that guy puking on the plane, now you <sighs> say throw this up on the screen. Never mind. Okay, Sorry. Uh, before I dive into this, one more thing I wanted to talk about on that plane trip. <laughs> he wasn't the only one. This happened like oh, no. two or three times. Yeah, so... I, you know, it's it's a 12-hour flight or 11-hour flight from Taipei to Vancouver, and I'm flying, and I have to go to the bathroom. So I get up, and I go to the bathroom, and I'm about to open the door, and suddenly the handle on the door just, it's really frantic. It's, like, shaking really fast, and I'm like, well, this is weird. So I open the door up, and this guy shoves me into the bathroom and, like, pushes me, and I'm like, what is going on here, man? Hold on, hold on. And I'm like, so I, yeah, he doesn't speak English, so I just kind of push him away, and I try to get out, and he's shoving me and shoving me, and so I, I get a little physical with him. I roughly move him out, 
and I step out of the way, and just as soon as I step out of the way, vomit shoots straight out of his mouth all over the bathroom and just sprays all of the walls. And the guy, you know, he continues to vomit, but he doesn't even bother to open up the toilet. The toilet's covered, so he's just vomiting all over the toilet lid, all over the floor, and everything else. And I'm, like, stepping away as fast as I can, get to uh, the uh, seat where I'm supposed to sit down and ring the stewardess. And I'm like, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> that's really bad back there. And she's like, yeah, we know. And she just, like, goes back and, like, closes the curtain. And I think they were drawing straws to see who had to go clean up that mess but but i mean who does that it's just it's crazy and i was talking to a few other people from uh uh, portland that were on our flight and they said they fly the type a route on a regular basis and a lot of people get really sick on that flight and they're not sure you know if it's the food in taiwan or what's going on but uh uh, it's pretty common to have just explosive vomiting and like people sick on that plane so okay i have just scratched singapore off my list Well, that was to that was to Taiwan. So, oh, okay. It, next time, if I go to Singapore, maybe I should go through uh, uh, Tokyo or something instead. Well, of I'm, I'm going to put the uh, in the show notes down under the timing section. The very descriptive section of projectile vomiting started at 15:30 and lasted for 20 minutes. Man, this is really turning into a holiday <laughs> show, right? <laughs> Okay, moving on to actual news here. Uh, This is a camera we've been kind of talking about for quite a while, and I've tested it. A lot of people have asked why I haven't done a review on it. This is the ZE-1 camera, and the reason I haven't done a review is because the camera is half-baked. They haven't gotten to 1.0 firmware yet. This thing still has a lot of issues in terms of menu systems, controls, uh, lens support, and everything else, and they're slowly releasing new firmware updates, but the camera's not really ready for prime time. Now, with that said, I've got a link there in the show notes to the pre-order available uh, i believe at the middle of december from bnh for the e1 camera now this is a interchangeable micro four thirds camera but it was started originally as sort of a prototype that made it onto kickstarter uh mitch thank you again for pointing me to it but uh <laughs> now i have it it's not exactly the most useful thing And they're getting ready to start selling this and shipping it to uh, prospective buyers, and it's still not ready to roll. What do you think about that practice? Uh, We've seen it with Blackmagic in the past. We've seen it with uh, some of the other camera manufacturers, um, Sony and your black spots of death. Uh, Is this the new normal from manufacturers to just ship cameras not ready to roll? This is this is unfortunately more and more common, isn't it? And I, you're you're pointing out a very bad trend, not the fact that I recommend bad products on Kickstarter, but uh, no, no, <laughs> this is really cool in, the, in concept. It just hasn't right. gotten there yet. Right. And and we probably should have known it because I told you at the time that they were at the NAV show in the newbie booth section way up in the North Hall. Um, with their prototype camera in hand at the time. Uh, it is, it's, it's a sad trend, and I think several of these stories are leading into the one that we're going to talk about towards the end about camera sales and where that whole thing is going. So it's kind of scary. Uh, maybe that Leica, maybe you should just invest in the Leica and be done with it. Well, right? 
and that's the other thing I wanted to mention. We have stuff like the uh, the new Blackmagic kind of mini cameras. For the life of me, I can't remember what the label is on those pocket <coughs> studio something of that nature. Uh, whatever. The micro mini micro studio. Yeah, add 20 names to it and then put Blackmagic behind it and you've got the name. Uh, but <coughs> that camera is you know, running in $899 to $1,200 range. This is running 600 and some dollars. And Panasonic is already offering the G7, which is a fairly compact Micro Four Thirds camera, flip-out screen, full 4K capability, also good for photography, is fully baked, ready to roll. Do you think there's a, still a place for these mini Micro Four Thirds cameras when you have ready-to-go, almost as compact cameras for 100 to $200 less than what Blackmagic and the E1 are offering? Well, I was going to say that... You, first of all, my father always said, "What you get, you get what you pay for, son." So, maybe spending money on a brand name as opposed to spending money on a Kickstarter project that may not work uh, is the right choice in the first place. And I'm sorry again, I got you into that, but you've learned a lot and you've had several great shows to talk about. Oh yeah, it's been um, fun. And you know, there is a lot to be said. People bash. Our good boyfriends at camera can boyfriends boyfriends what? what where did that our good boys is what I was trying to say our good friends and it came out as good boyfriends never mind it's, <laughs> it's early in the morning let's not do an early morning show again all right um, but the, it it can and they've always talked about the fact that they take their time and they make sure that everything works and they do have a couple of firmware updates every now and then but it's and it's like the Panasonic Lumix G7 that you're talking about. Probably there aren't very many problems with that. Uh, you know, Blackmagic, when they first came out with cameras, they'd never done cameras before. And they had a lot of problems. And we're now getting to the point, what, three or four years later, where when they actually ship a camera, typically it works, right? <laughs> yeah, well, for the most part, with a, but, a few but, exceptions. So the, so in that in that regard, now the Sony the Black Sun problem, obviously they should have known better with that. But it it that's not a major critical problem as compared to a totally half baked camera like you're dealing with here. But you have to realize that anytime you're dealing with anything that's brand new like this, there's going to be problems, and maybe you should wait for generation two. I know a lot of people that do that. It's not. I'm not just saying you, DJ, should have waited. But uh, there are there are people that don't install software for six months because they want to, everybody else to work out the bugs, right? You know, they don't upgrade instantly with every new version of software. So there is a lot to be said for having some patience at times. Now, while we're talking about software, I didn't th put this in the show notes, but I kind of want to transition oh. to this really quick. Did you see that? Uh... Adobe has released a new suite uh, for both Premiere, After Effects. I, I think there was an upgrade also for um, Photoshop as well. There might have been one for Lightroom. I don't know for sure on Lightroom. But did you look at the native support they added? H.265 yeah. native support did for they? Prelude, for Premiere Pro, for After Effects. So I think they're getting ready for that to sort of awesome. become the next thing. Uh, That's big news. Yeah, it is actually. I haven't seen that. And I was reading the release notes because, uh, you know, you just mentioned early installation. I I fail in that regard. I was like, ooh, new stuff. Click, click, click. And so 
I installed that on one of my production machines and left the other production machine with uh, the previous version of Premiere Pro. But in the description, it basically states uh, native uh, support for both uh, H.265 as well as, uh, what was it? I, I think it's, um, uh, shoot, it's it's escaping me. The, the uh, not MOV, but... Um, you know, the other container that you get off of something like uh, the Ninja. You know what I'm talking about? You're not. Probably not. Okay, never mind. No. <laughs> um, they they added support for a few other, like, 3D uh, file containers that weren't natively supported before where you had to install a a manufacturer's, you know, plug-in like, or plug-in, whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting that that's a thing now. Uh, that's I, great. And adding support for that to everything else. I want to know, and uh, this is something I haven't found out yet for sure, but uh, the Titan X graphics card that I use has native support for encoding and decoding of H.264 and H.265 built into the card. I wonder if there's a way to sort of hardware base edit with Premiere Pro uh, using those cards. So I might need to dig into that further to find out. I know the new 900 series GTX uh, graphics cards from NVIDIA all have a onboard encoding decoding chip uh, to take care of that so that it's hardware-based as opposed to software-based. And if that is something that Premiere could take advantage of, that would be very, very sexy. So so who's putting out H.265 anywhere? Uh, well, you have the... I think Samsung is really... About it, uh, the Samsung NX1 and NX500 uh, both have native H.265 support uh, in camera. And I'm told, or I'm not told, I've read rumors that <laughs> the H or that the GH5 may, in fact, also support H.265 internal recording, uh, which I expect to see an announcement for that probably at NAB. Right. Uh, to, and it, that will probably be part of their talk cycle as opposed to a big change. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's all the rumors floating about of Panasonic developing an 8K sensor, uh, 33 megapixels for both consumer and um, ENG style cameras. So that will probably come out in 2017. Yeah, and, like we need 8K. Yeah, well, you know, oh, I'm not going to get into that argument because that's, you know, Eight, there's, there's well, running circles. So, so what's the big benefit there for H.265? And well, that's massive compression right? yeah there's well there's the compression but also you have uh, a better color representation so you know you can either use utilize the compression portion of it or you can utilize the compression to incorporate more color information into your stream so right. if you have the same bitrate stream as h.264 and h.265 you could actually capture more color information in h.265 than you could in the same bit rate at h.264 so right. in that regard you know more color information means uh better latitude and post if you're doing a lot of grading if you're working with like a flat picture style or any of those things uh that could be handy for you but without native support in premiere pro and after effects and so on your computer is gonna chug like nobody's right. business or you're gonna have to transcode into another format to work with it well, so if i if i can throw in a plug Cha-ching! And if my soundboard worked, it would you would hear a cha-ching sound there. Uh, the folks over at Cine Martin, which I doubt you've ever heard of, uh, they have been a sponsor of Planify D off and on, and they have 
for the last, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months been talking about, they've got H265 uh, technology and they have uh, a recorder now that records H265, uh, which we were going to test on Planet 5D and we just haven't worked out all the details yet. Um, so there is, there is an option out there. Now, obviously, if your camera is not spitting it out, you've got a whole different issue, but you could theoretically record H.265. The thing that's always bothered me about Cindy Martin and bless their little hearts, uh, they're from overseas somewhere and I've never, I don't think I've ever looked it up, but, uh, they don't do Mac support, which just drives me bonkers. They're, they're windows guys and girls. And therefore I kind of went, uh, hello, <laughs> uh, you know, half of, or, uh, at least 65% of my readers are on Mac. So you guys are leaving out a major hunk of the industry if you're not going to touch Mac, but that's all another story. Uh, I, but I will give them a plug because they have been on the bleeding edge of H265. If you, if you want to dive into somebody that's doing H265 a lot, I think they're kind of the experts. Now, while we're talking about uh, massive amounts of data, why don't we swip over to this uh, two? T Did we already talk about a two terabyte SSD, Mitch? Because I put this we, in the show notes, and now I'm looking at it and thinking, wait a minute, we might have had this discussion. We've, we we did discuss uh, two terabyte SSDs some time ago, but I, I know the prices have been dropping, and I was very tempted during the Black Friday, Cyber Monday cycle, although my my accountant said, don't spend any money. Um, if you're not familiar with this, guys, uh, the Samsung released the 850 series, and the original 850 series was limited to one terabyte, and that's the 850 Evo and the 850 Pro. Uh, the difference between those two, of course, is the MLC memory versus the TL TLC of memory. Course. Uh, of triple course. layer that's cell. A, yeah, <laughs> everybody knows that, DJ. Everybody but you. Oh, okay. Well, anyhow, uh, <laughs> they also released, um, recently released a two terabyte variant and it's $650 for the Evo. And for the pro, I believe it is around $750. Uh, the difference again is the multi-level versus the triple level cell memory they're using in the SLC buffer. We are not a super technical show, so I'm not going to get into all of that, <laughs> but... The point I'm getting at here, and actually on Black Friday uh, over Thanksgiving, there were actual 960 gig and one terabyte SSD drives that were priced at 199. Now that puts SSDs at about what? Does that it works out to like 20 cents or maybe 25 cents a gig? That's it was, that's cheap. That's, which I almost bought one. I was like, holy cow, that's cheap. Yeah. And for those prices, even if they're not the highest performing SSD on the market, they are. 10 times better than what you get out of a spinning drive. Well, maybe not 10 times, but at least five times better than what you get a spinning drive. And those performances, it's starting to reach parity. And uh, there are several people pointing to the fact that chip prices are going down so fast that probably 2016, 2017, it will be the same price to get a spinning drive as it is to get a SSD solid state drive. Wow. At that point, then... What? Death to the spinning drives. They all suck. They die. They're horrible. Well, you say that, but then on the other side, HGTC, uh, it's a subdivisionary of... Um, <laughs> I... You know this name, but not Philip Bloom? 
Yeah. What did you say <laughs> now? Uh, the HT what? Uh, HTGC, I think. Okay. Uh, they're a, a subdivisionary of one of the major hard drive manufacturers. Uh, they were purchased from uh, Toshiba, I, I believe, a long time ago. But the point is, they just released a 10 terabyte drive that's what? helium filled. And it's spinning drive. And because it's helium fueled, uh, there's less air friction when the drive is spinning up. So they can spin the drive and increase platter density and so on based on... Uh, there's some other things they're doing, like shingling techniques where they write over half of the trace of another write and so on. But 10 terabytes in a single spinning drive. So I think we're going to still have spinning drives for massive amounts of storage yeah. Uh, into the future for quite some time, at least right. the next five or six years. But uh, now we have uh, some of the new ways of writing to Flash. Instead of using NAND, where you have to delete blocks, uh, they're using the cross-point technology, and we should see drives with that coming out probably uh, the beginning of next year. And the cross-point technology, if you're not familiar with it, Mitch, uh, it, <laughs> it allows you to write at the bit level as opposed to the block level to your Flash memory. And that wow. means that you're talking, you know, two and three gig random I.O. writes and reads. Uh, basically, you're looking at RAM speeds in wow. your SSDs. And when we get to that point, then, I mean, it's game game's over for anything that you want with speed. Uh, then you're just limited by bus bandwidth. You probably understand quantum computers, too, don't you? All right, moving on down the line. <laughs> I, I saw a video. Well, but it's very similar. It's fascinating because last night I happened to watch a video that um, Guy Kawasaki. Do you know him? No, you probably don't. Um, Guy Kawasaki posted, shared a video though about quantum computers, and I understand a lot about computers, right? You know, bits and bytes and all that kind of stuff. And when you start talking about quantum computers and the fact that you can have multiple states of zeros and ones in one little whatever the hell it's called, uh, it, it's just mind-blowing. And it sounds very much like what you were just talking about. So, Well, the cross-point technology, it's actually very, fairly simple. It's what they used to use in the old days to matrix memory. Um, right. And it was at the time they got away from it because serializing memory and using a controller was actually faster. Uh, right. And if you want to think about it in terms, and this is for you guys, not for Mitch, because I think Mitch actually knows this. Um, if you have a keyboard, uh, like a, a musical keyboard, for example, uh, you don't want to run a trace to every single key. So you run a bus of traces and then you run a cross point to each of the keys. And based on the combination of energized traces, the keyboard knows which button is being pressed and it's a matrix. Well, you can do the same thing to write to memory if you set the memory up in such a way that it's built on layers. And by building it on layers, you can access a single bit instead of a chunk of memory. And the way VNAND works right now is if you have to write one bit to the, the piece of memory, you actually have to write uh, whatever the block size is, which could be you know a meg or two megs, however right. long. So you erase right. the whole thing and rewrite it, so you're buffering all the time. But if you can write to a single bit, then that's you're yeah exactly yeah. now that's why when you see ssds the continuous write speeds and read speeds are always a big number but when you get into 4k and smaller uh, chunks it starts to decrease dramatically it's because they have to erase and then rewrite and erase and rewrite in order to change the states of these different bits of memory but when you get to cross point that's all changed and you don't have to worry about wow. it anymore so Cool. Really cool stuff, but uh, then we're going to be limited by bus bandwidth. Okay, I'm <laughs> done with this. I need to stop myself before I dive in any further. 
not a technical show at all. Well, it, yeah. it, well I, okay, it, it is. Was. Sometimes it's a little technical. <laughs> There's one more thing I want to talk about before we dive into some of Mitch's articles here. I wanted to just address Lightroom uh, for Android. I, we've we've sort of talked about the iPhone release of this in the past. I know, Mitch, you're not really a, a Lightroom user per se. Not uh, yet. But I took my recent trip to Singapore, and because the, some of the equipment I was using was already there, I didn't have to bring very much with me. So I thought that would be an excellent opportunity to scale back to as small of a setup as possible, uh, in which case I basically took my Nexus 7 tablet, I took the Panasonic LX100, and I took my cell phone and grabbed a SIM card while I was there. And did you have clothes? Of, yeah, I, I did, but I, <laughs> I, what I do when I travel really light is I bring a bunch of generic black T-shirts, and if I buy anything, I just throw the T-shirts away and then put that in my luggage instead. So I left with probably seven T-shirts and came back with, uh, you know, two. The okay. one I was wearing and one extra one for safety in case someone vomited on me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got all the way full circle back Yowzer. to the beginning. Uh, Yowzer. But where I was going with that is actually I wanted to see if I could actually get away with uh, filming and 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 shooting stills uh, for a vacation style format without having to carry, you know, a laptop and all these other things. And really, I, I didn't make it work completely yet. And I still have a few catches, but with the Lightroom, and by the way, Lightroom for Android is now free for use. You don't have to have a subscription. If you want to use some of the extra settings or you want to sync it with your cloud, of course, you have to have an account, but otherwise you can get it for free. Same as with the iPhone. Um, you can edit raw DNG files and you can do basic editing on JPEG files. So basically I just wirelessly linked up to the Alex 100 beamed the photos over to my phone or to my Nexus tablet, did my editing and uploaded them to, you know, Twitter, Facebook or wherever. And it's, it was a fairly easy, seamless process. I wasn't able to get a hold of the raw files yet because uh, you know, I don't have a converter on my phone. I'm testing out converters next week that'll do uh, Panasonic RAW to DNG. But man, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now, Mitch, are you willing to edit your photos for the convenience of, of light, lighter travel on a tablet or you know even your smartphone? I, I, uh, I've I have tried to abandon using a laptop before now. Granted, at the time, I was using an iPad, um, and that was probably two years, three, three, maybe four years ago. Um, and it just, it's just too painful. Uh, I'm so used to super speeds with SSDs now on my laptop that I'm not willing to give up the pain. To, I'd rather carry a, a small, light laptop than to deal with all that, to be honest with you. And I know the technology is getting to the point where it's pretty awesome, but I like my keyboard and I like my laptop, and I, I still would rather edit on that than a phone or a tablet. I think for me, um, and uh, just aside, while I was in Singapore, my wife and I did sixty-two miles on foot. What? Yeah, uh, we were averaging a, about uh, twelve miles a day. Wowzer, good yeah, for you. Uh, just hiking all over Singapore, going out to the reserves and so on. But the the thing is, 
my back was thanking me for not carrying my giant freaking laptop with me. Well, yeah. And, and so now I'm down to, I just, I, I pulled the trigger on one of the black Friday deals and got a Samsung galaxy S two tab. And, uh, it was like 190 bucks or $200. Uh, it's an eight inch version, so it's fairly small. And I'm going to give that a go and see if I can, uh, get away with editing. I'm next trip I take, uh, I'm heading up to, uh, the Seattle area to go out to the, whatever the waterfront straight thing is, um, here next week or the week after. And I'm going to see if I can get away with just using that. And if I can, that would be great. If not, then the next thing in my repertoire will may be a surface pro four, uh, from Microsoft because that is still a tablet form factor. It's super light and it still has all of the capabilities of a full Windows device. I, I, I will gladly ship you this, DJ. This is this is a box that I have. It's called the Amazon Kindle Fire that I paid one hundred and thirty nine dollars for. It's I put it back in the box uh, because this thing sucks a rock. And and Amazon, I had trouble formatting it. I was going to sell it because I I tried it out. Uh, I wanted to try an Android thing, and I know Amazon's version of Android isn't really Android. But anyway, I was going to sell the sucker on eBay, right? So yeah. I went through the reformat process, and it failed. And this thing is totally unusable. I can't reformat it. I can't install a new operating system. I spent an hour and a half on the phone with Amazon, and they said... Oh, well, just buy a new one. They're cheap enough. So, <laughs> so I have one that I'll gladly send to you that it doesn't work. But if you want uh, you, any, it's like uh, I could not believe that that was their response was to just buy a new one. Tablets, I, I use my Nexus 7 all the time for web surfing and occasionally streaming some media when my wife is watching something else. And it's really handy. Uh, I enjoy it immensely. I also, I, I keep all of my manuals on that. So uh-huh. when I'm out in the field, wait, 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 back out. You have, you, you read your manuals. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> so, and this is a pro tip. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but yes, you have. Okay. A PDF reader, man. Yeah. Totally yeah. amazing. Great way to go. Makes you ready to roll. And, and so the other thing about the Samsung galaxy tab too, is it's, uh, it's a more of a four by three aspect ratio as opposed to 16 by nine. So reading documents on something like that, it's more like a piece of paper than it is, uh, you know, a widescreen television. It's not going to be as good for video viewing, but for the reading that I normally do, and it's a little overpowered for reading, but Hey, you know, it's on sale, right? Yeah. All right. Let's move on because we've wandered all over the place. Did you actually say what's so great about Android mobile Lightroom? Uh, so if you haven't used the mobile version of Lightroom for Android, uh, it basically gives you access to all your curves. Uh, it gives you access to the basic brightness controls, contrast, color correction, uh, vignetting, all the things that you would normally reach for. And it's set up, at first you're a little confused by it. Uh, you have to push a, a button on the side and then it brings the menus across. But once you get it sorted out, it's really simple scroll through your menus, uh, slide your finger around, and bam, you can do saturation, you can reduce color, you can do spot removals, all of the basic stuff. It it doesn't have as many of the really fine-tuned controls like uh, 
you know, in Lightroom, if you're used to adjusting for a specific type of lens, it does that automatically, but it, you don't have the feature to really dig in and try and do uh, distortion corrections and so on. But if you're just doing basic editing, which a lot of times, you know, if you're on vacation, you're not going to spend as much time as you would on a full shoot uh, editing your photos. You just kind of want to get them to look fairly nice and dump them out onto the internet. And with that in mind, uh, I think Lightroom for Android does a fine job and it's free now. So if you want to go test it out, I feel like it's better than Snapseed and some of the other uh, Android editing uh, photo apps that I've used in the past, uh, a little bit more intuitive. And it's, I think it's editor's choice now uh, from CNET and a few other places. So well worth it since it's free. I mean, there's no barrier to entry there. And if you link it with your account, then it does sync uh, presets for your photos, uh, things that you might save in Lightroom. It also will do the face detection and some of the other things that make organizing your photos a little bit better. So those are all things that are pretty nice. Now, Mitch, tell me yes. about this weird uh, FLIR camera thing that, uh, what is this, uh, infrared for your house? Are you, are you scanning things? Uh, what are you doing with this? I'm not doing anything with this sucker because I'm not buying it, but I found it fascinating. This just came out as an announcement yesterday uh, from DGI, and yeah, they're adding the capability for your drone to do infrared. So if you, let's say, for example, you are farming yourself. I mean, this may not really apply to movie makers, right? Filmmakers don't typically do infrared unless you're doing maybe a sci-fi story or a police story and or maybe in a military story where you're you've got military out and they're looking uh to find the enemy out in a warehouse or something uh this technology will give your drone the ability to shoot infrared heat detection uh if you want to use it for crops i mean you know there's all of the technologies uh that infrared and heat detection are used for in the crop and uh, farming world where they can tell which parts of the crops are bad and which parts are good and how much water they need and all those other kind of things. So it's, it's realistically a fairly big deal to be able to have your little drone flying over. Now I hope, hopefully people aren't going to be using it to spy on their neighbors to say, Oh, well look, Betty's in the shower. I mean, or you're not check on houses anything. to see if someone's right. home or not. And then, well, uh... Uh, yeah, good. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that one. I went instantly went to Betty in the shower, didn't I? <laughs> or, or you're looking for? I'm watching the video. There, there's a video on DJI site, and and maybe you're looking for your lost dog out in the woods, <laughs> and and you know you find a wolf instead or something. I don't know. Actually, there are a few ways to make some good cash, uh, especially in the Midwest. If you have an IR camera and you're a, uh, a filmmaker, you don't, I mean, you don't really make films with the IR camera. The resolution's like 640 by 480, right. you know, right. not super high res, but you can go out and do like thermal checks of houses uh, because a lot of people need insulation in their homes. They need windows. They need uh, various other things. And you can basically do an audit an energy audit of an entire home with an IR camera. The other thing you can farm yourself out for, and I know a couple of guys that do IR for utilities. Uh, utilities have high voltage lines and electrical infrastructure. And if connectors are weak, they actually begin to heat up and you can see those right. in thermal scans. So 
they sell themselves out as just a filmmaker that goes out and films all of the transmission lines or all of the wow. transformers or all of the power infrastructure and finds hot spots and then sends them back to the utility so that they can be red flagged, taken out of service and fixed. Now, those are definitely ways to make money with a camera like this. And especially if it flies, I mean, if you have to pay a helicopter to fly over a line or you can yeah. get a drone to fly over the line, it's much cheaper to do the drone, I would think, than would it think, is yeah. to get the hourly rate of a helicopter and a full-fledged camera. So yeah. there you go. Make yeah, some money with that. Cool. I, you know, I never would have thought of that. So DJ, you're always full of incredibly different ideas for making money. I'm impressed. I try to keep my eye out for good ideas because uh, – did I ever tell you about the courtroom one? No. Oh, man. I know a couple of filmmakers that are – they were never very good filmmakers, but they moved into <laughs> uh, the courtroom aspect. So all they do all day is film uh, courtroom proceedings, and there's yeah. certain rules and regulations. You have to get a license in many states right. to do it, but it's right. a flat like $50 an hour to be a filmmaker and you're not really making film as much as you're pointing a camera and hitting record and plugging into their PA, but you just sit there and babysit the cameras and soak up the cash. So a very interesting way to uh, become 50 bucks an hour. Yeah. I mean, obviously your contracts, Um, you don't get paid any of your benefits or what have you. So you have to come out of those out of pocket. So they figure the $50 an hour, maybe you're making 30 and you pay your benefits out of I'm going to quit blogging and go do that instead. Become a courtroom filmmaker today and then saturate (laughs) the market. And now it only pays like $10. Yeah. Let's make a course. We can make a course and we'll sell it for 500 bucks. (laughs) We'll teach you how to be a professional courtroom filmmaker yeah perfect great great sideline business dj (laughs) all right we'll talk about that off the air (laughs) (laughs) moving on down the line last thing on the list here and this is actually something kind of interesting and kind of weird i don't know how much of it is uh rumors and speculation how much of it is true but uh this is a link to uh planet 5d's post uh, just sort of musings on samsung possibly merging buying or becoming one with nikon in their camera department Uh, we've noticed that the nx series from samsung has kind of been pulled out of uh, certain markets across europe and asia and uh, that has led to speculation that there may be something going on Uh, samsung has had a lot of developments in the technological aspect of their cameras but their the cameras aren't the most popular in the world and Nikon has branding, but you've got a chart here that shows some of the uh, sales figures for Sony. Right. And they're looking kind of sad, and this is pretty much industry-wide. Uh, Canon's taking a hit. Nikon's taking a, a big hit. And even Olympus and Panasonic aren't doing amazingly well as far as uh, fourth-quarter sales. What do you think about this? Well, and, and I apologize because I don't have all of the charts. I've, I started investigating when I was looking at this story. Uh, Hugh published this story for us over on Planet 5D, ching And you know, there's, it's all speculation, of course. And Nikon says, no, it's not happening. And Samsung says, no, it's not happening. And then, like you say, there's, there's all sorts of other rumors about what's really going on and people talking in the background so at this point nobody knows what's really truly true uh but it does 
lead to speculation. And, and so I started looking at some of the articles and charts, and I'm doing some research about the direction of the market in, in many situations. And, and even to the point where I posted on Planet 5D, if you go into this, any of the pages on the right sidebar where all the advertising is, where everybody yells at me for having too many ads, but that's a whole other story. Uh, there's a, a, a poll on the right-hand side that's asking which video brand are you shooting with? Um, and you and I, DJ, have talked about the fact that, well, I shouldn't say the fact. People are constantly talking about, well, I'm dumping, you went to the wrong page, don't go there. <laughs> um People are constantly talking about, well, Canon sucks and I'm going to shoot Sony or Blackmagic or Panasonic from now on because Canon's not moving fast enough for what I need. So I threw up a poll. Oh, good. <laughs> I said the vomit word again. Uh, I threw up a poll to ask people, and we, we have done this in the past, so I'm going to actually go back and look at the older ones to see what the results were before, to find out whether people maybe are really moving over to Sony and some of the other brands. Uh, because like that chart that you showed, oh, now you got it, there you go. Uh, the chart that you showed, Sony's digital camera sales is plummeting, right? They've gone from 20 million down to they're projecting 6 million in 2015. So in the last five years, it's just dropped like a rock. And, and most, like you said, most of the other vendors are reporting the same thing. Uh, interestingly, there are other charts, and, and again, I apologize because I have some other charts, but they're not ready. Uh, I, I don't have them saved. And when we started to do the show this morning, I didn't have time to grab them, but there are, the DSLR market is dropping. Uh, some people are going back to big boy video cameras. Obviously, you know, Blackmagic and those kind of things are fitting in there. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just really curious to see where the hell this market's going. And that's why I threw the chart in there. Just, I mean, if you're in, you're a Sony person, you're panicking, right? And like you said, I, I'd love to see actual numbers for Samsung because how many people go out and buy a Samsung camera as compared to yeah, one of the true. top three, right? Although I getting back um, from uh, Taiwan and Singapore, I'll tell you the brands I saw the most were Nikon, Samsung, and Panasonic. Uh, okay, I, and when you say you saw them the most, you mean in stores or on people? Both, actually. I saw okay. a ton of Samsung and Panasonic cameras on people. Uh, carrying them around and then the people that were carrying around bigger dslrs were generally carrying nikon occasionally you'd see like a, a rebel t2i or t5i or whatever but mostly it was those other three brands uh, right but you'd go into a store and you'd ask for like hey do you have any sony gear and no we don't have any sony gear you know really? or, do you have any canon stuff well we have canon kit stuff and they would take you over to like this really basic canon deal but then they their nikon right. said they would have you know that giant $5,000 plus Nikon lens on display in a cabinet, you know, I don't know who buys that from a, you know, kind of shady vendor in Singapore, but uh, <laughs> that was there. And so that kind of leads me to think that Nikon is still a fairly big brand in that area, as well as uh, Panasonic and Samsung. The most Samsung cameras I've seen in the wild anywhere was in Singapore. So that's one thing, but I want to address the the Sony issue 
And Sony's product line is falling off, I think, for a very important reason. They've just saturated their own product line every single year. You know, I own an A7S, and I know there's the A7S Mark II, and I I sort of long for it, but it's a very iterative upgrade to the next camera. They haven't spaced, you know, Nikon and Canon generally wait a couple years, maybe five years at the max to refresh a top-of-the-line tier camera, but Sony has been basically kicking out a new camera in their A7 line every darn year. year. And because of that, you know, there's only so many people that need a new camera, and they're going to buy that, and there's only so many people that need to upgrade. And when the upgrade is a a very small upgrade for a substantial price, you're not going to jump out and buy the new item uh, out of the shoot. And and that's where, like, Panasonic has done very well is because on their – their small cycle where it's just a minor upgrade they don't sell much but when they do their big change they sell quite a bit and everybody moves forward to the next camera plus the prices for micro four thirds cameras are in the $1,600 range for a brand new body whereas you know Sony uh, what do they do they undervalue their own new product by selling the a7s continually the original at right. a price of what like I think $1,400 and the right. new one's uh, $3,000 so when you see two cameras that are very similar, you're still going to buy the old camera. And the old camera has already been inventoried, taken out of their this year's stock and so on. And so they're not going to see the same sales numbers for their new items, which is most likely what is incorporated in this chart uh, for losses. Because, you know, at the beginning of the year, whatever you you ship, you determine is hopefully sold or at least units out and you write (laughs) them off. So, I mean, that's where I see the problem being with Canon and Nikon. I just see, you know, stagnation. There isn't a ton of new stuff coming from those, those guys. So what do you buy? You know, you're just sitting and waiting for the next camera to come out. Right. Well, I, 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 it's a fascinating conversation and I, I, I know we could go on probably a long time. Uh, but we've, we have as a consumer public or a professional consumer public gotten, I think in the last seven years since the 5D Mark II was announced, so addicted to camera updates that if things slow down, we get really pissed off and say, well, we're going to switch. I mean, we had this real peak where there was so much new stuff coming out and was so cool that now that things have flattened out and we've got 4K and, you know, all these other things... And and I had a great conversation. I don't think I had a chance to tell you about, but uh, Craig from Canon Rumors, I don't think I mentioned this, came to St. Louis a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And he and I had a great conversation. And one of the things we talked about was, uh, you know, the 5D Mark IV, 5D Mark IV. Yeah, that's where we're going. You know, he still says that Canon's not putting 4K in that. They have no desire to put 4K because they say there is no demand at that camera level for 4K. And they want to put it all in the big boy cameras like the C100, C300, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just people are going to be pissed off about Canon and not putting 4K in stuff. But Canon, I still think, is more or less on the right track because I still talk to gobs of people who have no desire to shoot 4k they don't want to put in the infrastructure and you know you still get to the delivery platforms and i don't want to get on a sidetrack about 4k but 
fascinating conversation to figure out where these markets are going, especially if you start diving into the numbers. It's really hard to find out. I mean, this chart is Sony digital camera sales. Yeah, and it's not talking about sensors or all the other slices of that same pie that they've got their fingers in. And and maybe the video camera's side is going up as opposed to, you know, so all of this stuff is lumped into one chart, which makes it really difficult to kind of do some detailed analysis like we would like to do. And even my little poll on Planet 5D is asking people which cameras are they shooting video with. It's not stills and we're not looking at all, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm just curious to see what the results are. And, and it's fascinating to me that the original story where we were talking about Samsung maybe selling out to Nikon. I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you're not, if you're in a, in a business that's decreasing like this chart from Sony, if, if it is, if Samsung's having trouble selling digital cameras, why not license it to Nikon and, or why not sell out completely? There's all sorts of things that could be going on in the background. Well, a combination of the two would be a great technology company because, you know, Samsung's got a lot in the development pipeline. Uh, Nikon has sort of gotten away from developing a lot of their sensors and are farming those out. So they've got the brand, Uh, you know, now imagine you combine those two and you'd have a workhorse. Now, on the camera front, though, as a Canon shooter, I've been a Canon shooter for years. I still am a Canon shooter, basically, but I have branched out to shoot both uh, Micro Four Thirds and I shoot with my A7S. But I've reached an equilibrium where... I don't really need any new cameras. I, exactly. I, have, I mean, even the point, uh, my point and shoot here, like I didn't really absolutely need this. I could have just gotten away with shooting with a GH4 as a small body and been fine. And anymore, I look at new cameras and even the A7S Mark II, which I kind of want, I don't need it. I can't even right. justify it as a purchase right. because uh, the A7S gets used just frequently enough to make it a, a valuable item, but a new one? No, not $3,000. Right. I don't know. And I think everybody that got caught up in the buying a new kit uh, pipeline that was going on for the last couple of years, he's kind of reached the same point where they're like, I got the good enough stuff, man. What do I need uh-huh. new stuff for? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very. And, and, and for those of us like you and me who typically are quote unquote, you know, dying to report on new cameras, I mean, there's lots of new cameras coming out, but they're also incremental. They're, they're, or clones they're of each other, like the yeah, Leica exactly. and the LX100. I mean, exactly. It's hard to, and even like Sony, if you look at their point and shoot line, the RX10 and the RX100, I mean, what did they change from last year's model to this year's model? They, they added 4K internal shooting to both of them. That's great, Woo-hoo. but you know, that could have been done in software with the previous model and they could have continued to just sell that as opposed to research and developing a brand new camera, A7S. Yeah. You know, everybody really kind of thinks that uh, they probably could have put 4K into that instead of releasing a new body. You know, it's there's not well, enough of a move forward to justify these purchases. And when you're talking 3000 or $4,000, you better be making some money in order yep. to freaking buy the cameras. Yep. And I mean, even me, like I look at my budget sometimes and I'm like, man, you know, I've just barely broken even on a couple of the cameras in my collection. And I, I slap my forehead and think, man, I, maybe I should have just gone without instead of purchasing it because 
I have to keep track of how much time I can charge on each of those cameras in order to make it a viable so purchase. You actually, you actually do that? You yeah, actually... I've got a little spreadsheet, and when I bill out for stuff, I bill out, and then I mark it off, and I... Um, I am what is amortization. Amortize. Yeah, I amortize yeah. them so that I know that I've uh, made a, a look choice. at you. It, you well, are. You have to be man. sort of cautious because you get into that habit. Of you're like, ooh, new lens. I want that. Ooh, new lens. I want that. And you buy it, yeah. and then you realize like you just bought a bunch of crap that you don't need, and you're eating uh -huh. into your profits. I uh -huh. love having new kit, but I can only justify so much kit before I have to stop, step back, and say, look at my spreadsheet here. It says, uh -huh. DJ does not need new camera. Go home and shoot with what you got, buddy. And it's And I'm I'm thrilled to hear you say that. I'm very impressed. I'm proud of you because, I mean, if, if you really wanted to go on some rants, I talked to, uh, I, I've got a new accountant. I mentioned my accountant earlier. And she is really nailing my feet to the floor about spending. Yeah, and I I like you. I I tend to buy software. I, hey, look at this new tool. I I might use that, and I go buy it. And and you know, forty dollars later, if, and you never actually touch the dang stuff. You know. Yeah, and and if you add that stuff up, which I before I, my accounting was horrible before last year. This year, uh, I was doing everything on a spreadsheet, and you know, horrible horrible business uh, f, uh, methodology, but. Uh, when you really start nailing things down and I'm so impressed that you're, you're actually going and figuring out whether or not a particular device you bought has been used enough to justify it. That's, that's good business, man. You're doing great stuff. I'm impressed. Uh, but I bet you most people don't do that. Most people like me typically don't spend a lot of time thinking about whether or not they actually use that stuff that they bought. Well, and I have a threshold too, which is my wiggle room. I I say if it's under three hundred and fifty dollars as an impulse buy, right, and I can resell it for the same price or close to that, then right. I can sort of justify it as I could rent this or I could just buy it, use it for a while, and if I don't like it, I can get rid but of you're it. The, you're also the reseller king. Yeah, I sell I and resell a lot, lot of, of stuff. A lot of people, and you pay taxes on that too, by the way. Yes, right? I do. Unfortunately, yes, uh, because. Because After that's four something audits, I know better. Yeah, and I, I believe we talked about that before. But I was so stunned because I, that never even crossed my mind until we had a guy write me an article, uh, write an article for me on Planet Five D about that several years ago. Because he went through the audit and ended up paying like ten thousand dollars in penalties because he'd sold all his gear and not paid taxes on that. So that's just another reminder, people, that you better be careful about what you're doing. Yeah, especially if you're but, using something like eBay where uh, there's an actual record of that, folks. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. Not to tell you to do anything illegal, but if you aren't reporting, then maybe you should look towards things like Craigslist. Uh, or there's, there is another website which all of a sudden I start to say this and why the sudden my brain won't come up with it. Um, there's a place where you can rent your gear out. What's it uh, called? Yeah. Uh, we talked about yeah. that. Dang it. Uh, we, we did uh, talk about it. And, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I apologize to the guy that runs that site. Cause we were just a couple of weeks chatting and it's not coming to my head, but you can look at it, look it up on planet 5d. Cause I know we've done a couple of articles about them. Camera lens, L E N D S camera lens.com. Uh, so, and, and there's a possibility of, of actually making some money on your gear, especially the stuff that's unused. If you're in a particular location, 
and you want to put some of that stuff that you're not using into use, maybe somebody in your town needs to borrow that. And they have a great program because you get uh, insurance by default and blah, 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 blah. Go look it up. It's cool. Oh. One pro tip, though, and I'll, and I'll mention this because I, I've used it a few times, and it's sort of a weird tax loophole. Uh, and I, again, I'm not giving any tax advice here. You need to go talk Amen. to your tax guy <laughs> if you want to find out more about this. But uh, there is a eBay threshold of $20,000 transactions via uh, PayPal. And if you stay underneath the $20,000 mark, it's non-reportable. But if you go above the $20,000 mark, it's all reportable. Really? So if you're selling minor stuff, they've put that window in there because there are people that were, you know, selling stuff, but they weren't doing a business. So they wanted to catch the businesses, but right. not, you know, penalize people for just doing garage sale type stuff because that's very hard to police and, and so on. So they put that in there and they've never really fixed it. So as soon as you cross that line, it's a huge issue. And that was one of my audits is I actually crossed the $20,000 resale mark. I sold too much stuff on eBay and I had to, I had to come up with the taxes for all that money that I wow. sold. And that, wow. that was one of the, like the face bombs. But then I talked to my, my tax guy and he's like, if you, if you have to do it on eBay, stay under this threshold right here. And then it's it, eBay doesn't report or uh, PayPal doesn't report any of it to the IRS below this threshold. And they have an uh, exemption for that. So talk to your tax attorney and find out more about that. I'm not, <laughs> giving you advice, but that's something to look into. If you need to sell a few things, like a couple of lenses here and there, and you want to do it legitimately, and you don't want to deal with like uh, Craigslist or whatever, uh, you can you can do that sort of thing in certain situations and not have to pay sales resale tax on the items. So uh, just uh, <clears throat> I'm not telling Sorry. you to break the law. I'm not no, telling you any advice not. about taxes. Just something to ask someone else smarter than me. Who about. knows more? Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, you're not really saying that eBay is legitimate and Craigslist isn't. So no, no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> you the, kind of phrased it like that. I yeah, no, they're both clarify. legitimate <laughs> methods of selling it, but it. Craigslist is a cash economy many times. Yeah. And yeah. while I like to think that everybody is a, a stand-up citizen and paying all of their taxes on stuff, you know, there's a reason why some people on Craigslist ask for cash only. Right. Uh, you know, right. they don't want any method of tracking that exactly. they receive some money from you. And, exactly. you know, that's always going to be a thing in whatever economy you fall sure. into. Sure, so. of course. Yeah. All right. We are okay. not economics podcast. Mitch, no. you have anything else to talk about before we get out of here? I've thought of a couple of things. Uh, they're not coming to my brain right now, so I didn't write them down. So let's just say thanks, everybody. And and if you missed DJ while he was gone, I know you've got – you told me before that you got a flood of letters from people saying, hey, where's DJ? We haven't heard from DJ, right? You got a flood, right? Not yeah, flood? 22 emails, actually. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. Thank you guys for all your support and asking. Um, I did mention that we were going to be off air for a, a – a couple weeks. So, yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I don't know how many people keep up with every single podcast or, or what have you. So sorry about that. Um, that was my bad, but thanks everybody for the outpouring but, of support. Yeah. That was really uh, nice. Absolutely. And, and for those 22 of you, please go out and rate DJ's show on all of the places that it needs to be rated uh, so that we get lots of love. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast, where I promise next week I will find my freaking webcam and we will be back into normal business. I might even have some posters on the wall by such time. Thanks again, Mitch, from Planet 5D for coming out. And you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are distributed. Be sure to rate... Tell us you love us and, uh, you know, write a review because that helps our rankings in iTunes and helps the show immensely. Someday we hope to actually have some sponsorship. So on that note, we will talk to you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. (laughs) 